You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Allison Renborg in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And you are listening to the monthly Equine Affair episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 16th. This episode is brought to you by Equine Affair. Good morning, horse world. It's the third Thursday of the month. That means it's time for the Equine Affair episode, North America's premier equine expo and equestrian gathering. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. That's right. Equine Affair is coming up. It's going to be here before you know it. And we're excited because we have some of the headliners that are going to be going to be there. They're going to be doing sessions that you can go watch, and they're also going to be in Fantasia. And we have, first off, one of my friends from a long time ago. I met him uh, back in 2010, Guy McLean. He's going to join us today. Of course, he's the Australian horseman, and he's an entertainer and uh, a trainer and been to Road to the Horse, and he's going to come coming up to Road to the Horse. We'll talk about that. Who else do we have? We also have Dusty Dickerson, who is incredible. If you've seen her in Massachusetts the last couple of years, you're going to be excited to hear she'll be at Ohio this spring. She is a trick rider and Roman rider and one of the stars of Fantasia. So there's a couple of announcements we need to make if you're coming to Equine Affair in Ohio. We're doing an auditor meetup dinner on Thursday night of Equine Affair. And you want to check the auditor room for details. Auditors are super fans. If you want to become an auditor, just go to horseradionetwork.com. Click on the auditor banner on the right side of the page, and it'll give you the instructions for how to do that. And that's actually being organized by some of our auditors. If you're not an auditor and want to meet up with me and, and Allison and some of the other hosts from the Horse Radio Network. We're going to be recording horses in the morning, three of the mornings at Equine Affair, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning. We're going to start at 9.30, probably go to around 11, and then those shows will come out immediately after on the Horses in the Morning feed. Uh, And we're going to be at the Equine Network booth, which is in the Bricker building, right? That is correct. The Bricker building is the big trade show building. So, And from what I understand, we have a big booth, so you'll be able to find us. It, it, it'll be hard to miss the Equine Network booth, <laughs> let me put it that way. <laughs> and I think we have, I haven't seen it yet, but we have this great big, I don't know, banner that that's round and goes like toward the ceiling. So you won't miss us. Uh, we'll be set up there. Just look for the microphones. We would love when you're recording. If you stop by, you can watch. We'll have uh, guests over. Uh, you know, we'll have clinicians over and other people over, and and maybe we'll get you on the air. We love to we love to have our listeners on the air as well. So stop by and join us for one of those recordings. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning Equine Affairs starting at nine thirty at the Equine Network booth, and we'll be there recording from like nine thirty to eleven. So we look. forward forward to seeing you there. Now, also, uh, hotels, the hotel blocks are expiring soon too, right? That is correct. Uh, At the end of March, which believe it or not, we are in March. I'm not really sure how that happened. Um, So yes, if you haven't booked your hotel yet, I highly encourage you to do so quickly. Uh, Those room blocks are going to be expiring March 31st. And then when you book, just make sure you mention Equine Affair so you can get a discounted rate at some of the host hotels. And the host hotels are on our website at equineaffair.com. All right. Very good. Well, I'm very excited about our first guest. Do you want to introduce him? I would love to. I'm not sure he needs an introduction, but I probably should. Uh, So Guy McLean is a self-taught Australian horseman. He is a familiar face at expos and events all over the world, not just in the United States. Guy and his fabulous team of horses have performed at the World Equestrian Games, Briarfest, the Royal Winter Fair, the National Rodeo Finals, and of course, Equine Affair. Guy will be presenting on general horsemanship topics at Equine Affair in Ohio this spring, and he's also one of the stars of our Fantasia show. 
Well, hi, Guy. It's good to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you both. So, Guy, I think we met back in 2010 in Lexington, Kentucky. Am I right about that? That's right. Just outside the, the wonderful little round pen in the middle of the city. That's right. Oh, my God. That's so long ago. <laughs> no, it was just yesterday, mate. For a horseman, 10 years, 10 years is nothing. That was yesterday. No, that's true. That's true. But I'm so glad to talk to you again. And you know what? I'm so glad that you're still visiting the United States. Oh, we always said we'll go where, where people want to see us. We've just finished a show at Harrisburg Horse World Expo, and fans have been seeing us there for 12 years, and they, they always get excited to see us. So we go where we want it, and we're very excited about being at Equine Affair again. It's one of our favorite shows in the world. So you're going to be at Equine Affair, by the way. I will be there the whole time, so I'll get to see you in person. Um, Great. Look forward to it. So you, um, what what are you going to do at Equine Affair? What's going to be what's going to be your show? Well, when I first when I first went there, when I first the reason I do what I do is because there's only there's so many ways you can be in the horse industry, but the only way you can get paid to ride your own horses and and stay with your own horses forever is as an entertainer. So I built my name in Australia as an entertainer, and I came over here as an entertainer for horse world for for a week, and then. Uh, like shows like um, Equine Affair, found out that I could do what I do. The first year I just did performing, and then the, or first year I just did clinics, and then the second time I, I went there as performer. So as far as I'm concerned, my main thing is there is to put on a, a wonderful show in Fantasia. I'll be doing my uh, Taming of Denny show, which I've got a wonderful little gelding called Denny that looks very much like the man from Snow River's horse, and I, <laughs> I, I tell him it's a bit of movie magic, and, and you've all seen the first movie, but there was no, there'd be no movie without... Uh, train and Denny first, so we we do a Liberty Act that incorporates that, and it uh, people walk out of there like it was a comedy show. Denny's quite funny, and I I um pretty much talk about it like in the movies. You see in the movies they climb on the young horse for the first time, bridleless, and then they doing flying changes and spin, and you know things that don't happen in real life they can do in the movies. So I just play around with that. But I will be starting a young horse. Um, be doing one of two things. I'm competing in. The World Championship for Colts starting in two weeks, and if I'm uh, blessed enough to win that, I'll take that young horse through, and and he'll have his fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh rides at Equine Affair. And if that doesn't happen, I'll be bringing a young horse from Texas, and I'll give him his first to fourth rides. And then through the the afternoon, I sort of read the crowd with my finish horses, and I, I work on everything from of high level horsemanship on how I get my flying changes and how I ride bridleless and the the connection between one man and his and his five Liberty horses. Do you do you actually transport your horses back and forth to Australia? Or do you have a set down there and a set up here? Yeah, I must admit, if um, the horsemen were as rich as everybody says they are, I probably could fly them back and forth. <laughs> but I have shows to me all the time, tell me how expensive I am, and they say you're bringing in your Australian team, and I say what you're offering me here would bring two legs and about five strands of his mane and tail like <laughs> there is not the, the the money to fly horses back and forth is ridiculous so in 2010 it was it cost me fifty thousand dollars to bring the four horses oh from my, my base to, to where we based in texas and now i think it's like 30 about thirty thousand per horse so the deer oh. deer horses that i have here from australia are, are on the prefit ranch in mount pleasant texas and I plan, and that's why I'm I'm, I'm still here because wherever my horses are is where home is. So if I had horses in Europe, Europe would be a big part of of where we go. Um, my horses are in Texas, so we have four horses from Australia here, and then I have seven other wonderful horses that have been purchased and or I've I've one rode to the horse with that are that are here. So um, I have a team of horses in Australia, and I do breed in Australia, and then I have two teams here in America that we. I take on tours between America and Canada. Do you have some of the horses originally from Australia that you had in 2010? Are they still showing? I sure do. I've, on the trailer behind us, we have Spin Abbey and Hope. And I must admit, Aww. they're my oldest at 23 and 20. And yeah. and I'm I'm nervous and I'm worried. Um, they are the most amazing horses. They are my heart horses, the pair of them. But I, I remember coming back after... after um, COVID and I was really worried two years is a long time for a performance horse to just be sitting my American horses my maid and Aussie they looked like they were fully retired and, and like they had bought houses in Florida and, and <laughs> never wanted to work again Spin Abbey and Hope were bouncing on the spot like they couldn't wait and then I it, it was back at um, the, the wildcard competition six months ago I had a young man come up to me he was the son of one of the wildcard competitors for Road to the Horse and he said are you going to do the canter backwards thing you do and I said well I said, I'll probably not, mate. I said, this beautiful horse has only had five rides in the last two years, and I, I won't do it to him. It's hot. And then we rode into the arena, 
and they had aircon in, in the Fort Worth Stock Show Arena. And, and Spinobi basically said to me, if you don't let me canter backwards, I'll do it by myself. And he just <laughs> performed like a legend. Like he did 50 flying changes. I could just feel his energy comes up. And and both those boys, they do what 20, 23-year-olds do. And they, they walk out of the stable and have a little stretch and they, they have a bit of a yawn. But when they hit the arena, they act like they're five and – and so I will read them and watch them. And the day they tell me enough's enough, I will. But I had someone say to me the other day, oh, you get one step closer to retirement. And I said, well, I will not retire until uh, they put me in a box. And I do feel that Spinabi and Hope have that same kind of heart. Well, and you're doing Road to the Horse is coming up, isn't it? Sure, it certainly is. We're about two weeks away. <laughs> is this your second time? This is my third. Third. Okay. I thought it was yeah. two or three. And yeah. so what are you... Dan James and I won it in 2012, and then I won it by myself in 2013. That's right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I think I was there, actually, back then. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm very excited for you to do that and then come off of that into Ohio. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting couple of months. Well, it is. I mean... If, if, if all goes like I've been planning, I'll have a dirty big grin on my face. And if it doesn't, I'll probably look a little sheepish. <laughs> but, but we'll just roll on. I, I write for, um, for a magazine in Australia that has 200,000 readers. And I, I wrote the, an article on, on how I'm preparing. Um, my good gelding mate that won in 2013 is a, a huge help to me. I just did Harrisburg Horse World Expo. And on day three, I rode a lovely young Hancock red quarter horse mare there, bridalist through an obstacle course we set up and work my team bridalist offer on day three and and no one's been able to accomplish anything like that at that competition the competition is different they don't let us get out of the round pen and uh, till day three so riding in, in those small yards makes it hard to get a horse to open up his heart and really go forward um but mate i send him at liberty and he pulls those horses around and he uh, like metaphorically he runs in front of them and they, they chase him like a cow and stuff so i'm just so very, very excited to perform. And I was telling everybody, like, for the article, and I said, by the time this article comes out, there will be another winner of Road to the Horse. And if it's me, you'll, the very next article, because I've been writing for two years there, the very next article will be about how I did it and how excited I am. And if not, the very next article will be about something totally different and no mention of such competition <laughs> will be brought up. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> You're well, setting the expectations. Yeah, I we like have it. faith in you, guy. We're 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 believers. I <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it, and I'm so excited because I've been away from it for ten years. And people said, "Why would you come back?" I've been asked nearly every year to come back, and I said, "I don't believe that I." Five years ago, I said, "Don't believe I could do any better than what Mate and I did." And if I can't top it, if I can't do better, well, I'm really happy with what we did. I rode him bridleless on the last day and stood him on a pedestal, and. But I do feel that I'm a better horseman now. I feel these horses are, are speaking to me more than ever, and I feel that there's a, a lot more that I can share. And I really like the energy of the other competitors. Um, I've met Mike that won it last year. What a gentleman he is. Um, dear, dear friends, I would like to say I'm dear friends with, with Craig Cameron and his wonderful sons coming, and J.R. Robles looks like he's a horseman on the rise too. So I'm, I'm really excited about being in the arena with like-minded people. You know, I always I get the question a lot. We, you know, as you know, we interview big name dressage riders and eventers and jumpers and all of that. And one of the questions we always get is, "Do you?" And I, I'd be interested to ask you this as a trainer: Do you work with other trainers to get better, or is it always on your own? For me, it's always on on my own. I, I'm, I've been very blessed since a a young boy um, to have uh, basically, I suppose, needs that have required me. I, I'm different. Um, when I think about about horses and, and what makes them tick, I'm very much like them. Horses are, are animals that like to rest when they rest and they use their energy when they do. And they, they you, you put a horse in a crowded room and he wants to go and hide in the, the presses. I'm the same. I'm sitting at the booth where a lot of trainers like to sit at the booth. They, they're gregarious and they love signing autographs and that. And I'm thinking, I just wish I could get back to the stables. I wish I could just put my arms around my horse. As I, I wish I could be working a young one. The the booth stuff, the talking to people is very, very important to my job. And I've now found a way to, to embrace it and to enjoy it because I know it's important. Just look the same as driving. We're driving three days to get to our next show. I'm learning to embrace the travel as well. Whereas if I only like the things that, that I liked, I'd only be happy for, you know, once a weekend when I'm when I'm in the arena performing or, or when I'm with my young horses. When I was young, my dad said, I don't care what you do with the horses, boy. As long as you don't hurt them, you don't hurt yourself and you have a bunch of fun. And I've based my entire life around that. So there's things that I will be doing at Road to the Horse 
people have called my method when I won in 2013. They called my method. Um, uh, what did they say? It was unorthodox, and I took that as a bit of a hit to the chin. I, 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 because we're not allowed to expend, allowed to expand on our method, we're not allowed to share what we're doing. It probably did come across that, but it's not unorthodox to the horses. I'm trying in every single moment to find out what makes them tick, to find out what drives them and to find out what they need. And I'm prepared to change it at every moment. And and people come up to me all the time and they say, well, how, who did you learn from? And then I say, well, I learned from the horses I work with because the greatest trainers in the world have done very well. But they're one generation or maybe two, if they're lucky, maybe three generations of horse trainers. When you talk to the horse, you're 5,000 generations of what it is to understand the mind and the thoughts of those animals. So I'm Though I'm a teacher and, and I, it's very important for me to be able to guide those horses and help them, I am not too brazen or too arrogant to take from exactly from the horse's mouth what they need and whatever it is that they need. They're never wrong. If they, if I have to, like I've got two horses in my team, Spin Abbey and Hope, who open up their heart and give me everything because I ask. And Danny does incredible things for me because I trick him into thinking it's his idea. And the act is still great. You know, but if I told Danny he was doing it because I wanted him to, he'd, he'd lip, rip up his liberty card and throw it in the bin. You know, <laughs> it, I, with with my good ones, they want to please me. Danny wants to please himself, but they're still all great performers because I find what makes them tick. So that's how we stay married, too, guy. Is just what you said there. Uh, make make <laughs> yes, him think sir. it's their idea. That's how we stay married, <laughs> yes, too. Yeah. I rode into the arena the other day, and, and my beautiful wife's there, and I said, "I want you to know that I always get the last word." Yes, dear. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, we, we learn that. It takes us a while, but we eventually do learn it. Allison? Agreed. I had a question for you, Guy. Um, so one of your clinics that you're planning to do at Equine Affair uh, on Saturday morning, actually, is how the skills of an Australian stockman can help you achieve your horsemanship goals. And I yeah. was hoping, could you share a little bit, what skills are you talking about or are you planning to talk about? I sure can, I sure can. When they first said to me, all the all the shows say we need you to give us topics, and I go, well, mm-hmm. I, I just high level horsemanship. They said, no, we we want you to come in and give us topics. And I said, okay, then I'll I'll give you a topic, and then I'll come in and I'll do what my horses need, and I'll do what the crowd what the crowd needs. I'm very good at reading who's <laughs> in the crowd and that sort of stuff. So I'll pretty much go in there and do what's on my heart. But I will talk <laughs> about it a little bit because it's because it's on there. But the the skills of the you watch a lot of people when they ride they. They don't really have a plan, and they, and, there's, and they don't have um, much awareness. So, as as a skill of, an, of a stockman, is you have to be aware from the moment you walk into the yard with a young horse, or a cow, or a sheep, or or anything that you're working with, you have to to check them. You know, you know when your horse is off. You know when you know what he's eaten. You know how much he's drunk. You know how how many times he's gone to the bathroom. Because if they, if you're not watching those health signs, that's when things can go wrong. And and I've been over here at the biggest events in the country, and I, you know the names that have done this to me. And I'm not going to bring them up, but I'll be talking to them for a good five or ten minutes, and they they don't even look at my horse. They just chat with me, and away we go. And then. Someone like John Payne, who's the the one-armed bandit, who is a stockman. I mean, he does his mm-hmm. show, but he works cattle and that. His whole family is stockman. His young grandson come up to me and goes, man, that horse of yours has got a, a quarter crack on his left front foot. Hey, that looks pretty bad. And like, because he works with cattle and sheep, he has to keep his eyes open for that. And I said, yeah, mate, he got his foot caught in the fence, but he's healed up now. The, the trainers, the riders uh, didn't see that, but the stockman did mm-hmm. because he has mm-hmm. to to – to have a look at the body shape and type. The other thing is we're told as stockmen when we're riding along is to keep your eyes and ears open and to basically have a 360-degree view because in Australia especially, if you're riding through thick timber, the cows will be clever and they'll lay down, even the wild ones will lay down in the brush and if you're not looking at, looking for them and feeling of them, you can't find them and you'll often see your, your stock horse will pick his ears to them and that's why it's so much better to to work with horses and to ride a bike. You could drive past those cows through thick bush and not find them, but your horse will let you know and you, you ride over there. And my, my brother always used to tell me, guys, stop daydreaming because I am a bit of a daydreamer and that's why I can do what I do. But stop daydreaming and, and keep looking around. Make sure you see the cattle. We don't eat if we don't bring them home. You know, that, that's how you make your living. So that's another skill of them. Um, doing a job with a horse is a skill of the stockman. Like, if, if, no matter whether you're riding a horse with, with 10 years of training or you're riding a horse on his 10th ride, if you're working cattle, you need to be able to ride one-handed, which means that you'll crack a whip in your other hand over here in America, you'd whirl a rope. Just 
having a job to do makes those horses stand up and and be better quicker so the young horse that i started at harrisburg on day three i was able to rope my mounting block and drag it along as though it was a cow i was able to ride along cracking a, a stock whip in one hand while i followed my liberty horses like they were four head of cattle and this baby who had never been ridden three days before was riding one-handed and staying between my aides when if we don't have those ideas behind us we can ride them till they're five or six and they can still be squirting left or right and not staying between our hands so the skills of the stockman there's just so many and i just tried to explain where i really needed them in that life but to how i carry them over into my horsemanship now well and it makes total sense that whole idea that you're not just there with your horse to do a job, you know, to to ride around the arena or to do dressage or to do your lesson or whatever it is that you had accomplished. You're there because y- you want to do those things, but you've got to pay attention to your horse, how they're feeling and notice those little things to make sure that everything goes together successfully. And, you know, sometimes what your plan is for the day as, you know, I want to ride 10 perfect circles your horse is not in the mood to do 10 perfect circles <laughs> and I, I think glenn knows what that's like with scooter so you do what uh, scooter wants to do right <laughs> that's right when you own a hackney pony guy you pretty much learn that quickly uh, oh, beautiful. <laughs> well I, I say to people too when you ride into the arena if you want to work on your spins or if you want to work on your side passes not to waste them just for when you want to do them but use them when they be most valuable. So people say, I've got a thoroughbred that wants to, to run all the time. And I say, well, um, the spin is a great way to take energy out of a horse. All the reiners say the best way to lose forward is to work on your spin. So work on your, your shoulder control. And when the horse gets slowed down in his feet, then let him off on a loose rein. If your horse is drifting out of the circle, wait until he it drifts and gets straight and then so i love the fact that you're able to go sideways now do it for me so i don't go in with a set plan other than to get my horse between my aids and i work on on what they are and to me i, ne- I never practice on on a, a 10 meter circle but if i practice on a five meter a seven meter a 10 meter very soon i can put them between my hands and my legs and put them exactly where i need to be and and it's all because of the preparation that the whole ride i'm saying where are you lacking what do we need to work on i let them bring up the topics of like going to the gym it's no good saying arm day if, if their arms are huge and their legs don't look good so mate it's time you did a bit of leg day and that's how they you get a well-rounded horse i believe i've always wanted to ask you this and i've talked to you a hundred times and i've never asked you this i'm a carriage driver have you ever driven carriage have you ever driven yeah i'm glad you asked so Back back home, my beautiful grandfather, uh, Norm McLean, used to have some um, some heavy horses that were milk cart horses in Melbourne, and then he used to use them in his market. He used to use them as a market gardener when others were going to war. Pa would would have them in his in his gardens, and then we brought them and we used to sit beside Pa. Some of my greatest memories was driving along with those with those old draft horses behind, and then. Uh, my brother um, had long reined a little bit when he was young, and I first young horse I ever started when I was fifteen. I I long reined, and and she was fighting me, and, and was real tricky. She was a horse that we paid twenty five dollars for, and my brother thought she was worth ten. And then um, <laughs> my brother Travis had given me a go at that, and he grabs the reins and just was skiing behind her. And I looked at it and I thought, that's as a fifteen year old boy, I knew that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be <laughs> hanging off a horse's face. Well, so I stayed away from it for many years, and and because long reining done done well is an incredible amazing tool and done wrong is is actually really quite dangerous because it can disconnect a horse um through its face like you'll i've seen horses that have been long rein they can put their nose on their left shoulder and run sideways into the fence not looking where they're going but then i had a dear friend who's a hunter jumper rider and sold hunter jumper horses for you know one hundred and seventy thousand dollars ones that i've started four years before and that kind of thing she was the first person i worked horses for when i come to america and she said, I'm getting a little older and I have carriage horses now. And I've got a gypsy cob that was trained in, in harness, and but he's dangerous. He's running off and he's scared. And I said, well, I'll help you because I've helped you with the other things. And I'm really, really grateful for it because I learned to find a way to make it work. And, and there's things I do now where I, I will not start a young horse now without driving him in on the ground, without long reining him on the ground. So, and my long reining is very much like um, groundwork with two reins and but then I've started a couple of gypsy cobs for her that have gone on to be champions. I've, I've worked with a, a beautiful, down on that chestnut horse, is he a hackney? A beautiful hackney that was, was quite dangerous. And he 
he had a heart like Spin Abbey and just needed help. And he's gone on to, to win again and do some great things. And I, I have driven six horses in hand in a, in a show in Australia, six uh, horses for a Cobb and Co coach. So I love it and I think it's great. And I know for a fact that when I get too old to swing my leg over, I, harness will be a huge part of my future, I'm sure. Well, great. I'm glad to hear that because a lot of riders are like, I'm never driving. That's too scary. You know, so it's like. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a wonderful skill to learn. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's terrific. Well, all right, Allison. So where can people see him when he comes into Ohio? Well, he's going to be doing different clinics on pretty much every day, I think. Um, but I especially... I get two clinics a day. Two. All right. Two clinics a day. See, he knows his schedule better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a schedule. I don't know. I just know one twice. <laughs> two clinics a day. And then also you're performing in Fantasia, right? That's my favorite bit. I, I just love sharing and I love hearing the giggles and, and the oohs and ahs and I, I just get a real kick out of it. And I have probably way too much fun when they see me perform. They're probably wondering why they pay me because I'm having so much fun. <laughs> we have a lot of fun watching you and I'm super excited um, to see what you have in store for us. So, Well, Guy, we'll Thank see you. you in a couple of uh, weeks then. Look forward to it. Thank you so much for reaching out. Can't wait to see you all. All right. Thanks, Guy. Well, you heard Guy talk about Fantasia, and uh, that's Friday and Saturday night of Equine Affair in Ohio. And they are desirable seats, and they're going to get really hard to find. So get your tickets now. That's a separate ticketed event. In addition to getting in during the day, this is a separate ticketed event. Uh, And you want to go to equineaffair.com for all the details and to get the tickets, but get them soon because it does sell out. And, you, you know, you heard Guy, he loves doing Fantasia. All the performers love doing Fantasia. Fantasia, because there's not too many opportunities to perform with other people at that caliber in front of a large audience. So it's it's really exciting for them as well. Absolutely. And it's also on Thursday night. So it's three nights. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, it's three nights. But I want to say most people want to go Friday and Saturday night. And those are the tickets that go faster than Thursday night. And beside so, Guy, who else is going to be there? Oh, yeah. We're going to have uh, Dusty Dickerson, who's our next guest. She's going to be doing an incredible uh, hot jumping act, and you'll get that joke in a minute. Uh, then we'll have the Knights of Iceland. They're a huge crowd favorite. Everybody loves watching the Icelandic ponies do crazy stuff, and there's usually fire. Um, we're going to have the Whispery Pines Percherons, which I am maybe the most excited about because I, I get really excited. Me too, me too, me too, me too. <laughs> Uh, when when Kogi told us that the Whispery Pines were going to be there, you should have seen me like jump up and down. I got really excited and everybody was laughing at me. And I'm like, I can't help it. I just love the big ponies. And then the Diamond D Cowgirls will be there. They're a hugely popular, very sparkly drill team. We'll also have the Frisian Heritage Drill Team. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of really cool drill riding, which is just super exciting and very upbeat. What's and it, there's lots more. What's it? I always wondered, what's it like for you guys uh, when you're, let's say, a month out like this? You know, what's it like for you guys in the final preparations? Is everything done or is it just like crazy nuts? Everything is not done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's crazy nuts. Things start ramping up. Um, I start, actually, I started having nightmares a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I'll have... Uh, dreams about packing or unpacking um and that's and and getting lost uh on the grounds those are my anxiety stress dreams about well you can't get event. lost at these places they're huge <laughs> i mean so let me ask you, you this do you um how does every how is everything organized is there, is there a million spreadsheets is that how it's all done there are a million spreadsheets uh there are a million doc so we have the server um, server with a capital S where everything is stored from <laughs> events going back way, way, way years before I was there. So everything is stored safely. But yeah, we have spreadsheets and Word docs. And then I think everyone has their own, everyone on staff has their own personal organizational system. So I have multiple spreadsheets of my own and to-do lists. And um I'm pretty sure that each of us, depending on our organizational style, has a different way to keep up. But like I think Kogi said, I just have a million to-do lists, and that's the way it is. And I'm like, okay. so Boy, yeah. my DHD, I would be having trouble with that. Uh, <laughs> I have a little trouble sometimes. But I have, I have, you know, when you have ADHD, which I'm not diagnosed, but I sometimes I feel like I must have it, you 
you come up with coping mechanisms, right? Mm. You know. Yeah, we still get our jobs done, you know. Yeah. One way or another. You're you're still a highly successful podcast host, Glenn, so (laughs) you make it work. Yeah, but not well sometimes, I I think. (laughs) (laughs) Even if it's by the seat of your pants, at least it got done. (laughs) We fake it well. See, we're actors. We fake it well. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's what, like, it doesn't matter. Did it get done? It got done. (laughs) Ten minutes ago, but it got done. (laughs) It got done. So, no, uh, to answer your original question, everything's not done. We've still got lots to do, but it's, I kind of look at at us as jugglers. We have lots and lots of balls in the air all year round because we're working on two events at a time or three events at a time, depending on where we are in the cycles, because we're already thinking about Ohio 2024 in addition to Mass 2023. And Ohio 2023. And then the six weeks leading up to the event, which we're now we're like less than 30 days to go by the time this airs. There's just more and more balls in the air. So like, just imagine a whole cloud of balls in the air. That's is what there, it feels like. Is there one person that ends up being the crisis coordinator? Because things always go wrong at events like this. You know, you can't have an event of this size with tens of thousands of people involved without things going wrong. Is there one person that kind of is the go-to person to handle that? Or does each department head handle the the, the nightmares well, that could pop up? Each department head, which I guess I'm technically the department head of marketing, but I am the department. Hmm. So, <laughs> so you're handling your own nightmares. <laughs> I handle my own crises, but then I would say Kogi, our president. Um, I am always stunned. Like during the event, I will be, uh, depending on how much coffee I've had that day and how many crises have been happening, my hair will get frizzier and frizzier, and I'll be like a hot mess. And then I'll go to Kogi and be like, "Okay, I, uh, here's a crisis," and she's just like calm and collected. She never looks stressed out. I don't even think the woman drinks coffee. I don't know how she, but Kogi can handle it. But it takes so. that person in that job, right? And that's her, and yeah. that's why she's so well equipped to be our our president and our owner. Because she, so I mean, really, she handles all the crises. They eventually all go to her, um, and she, if if I, if I can't solve it in the marketing department, it has to go to Kogi. And if Hannah and Alyssa can't solve it in the trade show. It goes to Kogi. So she's kind of the top of our pyramid, I guess you could say. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting her. I haven't met her in person yet, but I'm looking forward to meeting her and everybody else there, including Dusty. Tell us about Dusty. Oh, yeah. Dusty's cool. So at eight years old, Dusty was on vacation in Branson, Missouri, when she saw the Dolly Parton stampede and witnessed the art of Roman writing at the fir- for the first time. And she's going to tell us that story. Uh, today, she is an award-winning trick writer and a Roman writer, and she'll be performing in Fantasia this spring at Equine Affair in Ohio. Hi, Dusty. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We are super excited to have you on. Um, I have been dying to talk to you ever since I saw you leap through fire a couple of years ago. So, <laughs> Well, thank you very much. I was hoping, could you tell me a little bit about you? Because I have done a little bit of reading, but it sounds like you have a really cool story. So could you kind of start with how you got involved with horses? Yes, absolutely. So I grew up on a farm. My dad and my uncle, they co-owned a rodeo company, a small rodeo company in Southern Illinois. Um, It started out small and they grew into doing about 30 of our fairs throughout the year. So we were, we were getting pretty busy and that they started that when I was three. So I grew up and it's kind of all I knew. And um, I grew up riding ponies and my brother's racing and, you know, just, I got to have a really great childhood with horses where I just, I had a lot of fun with them and had just a natural love for them. And I started barrel racing. I carried the American flag. And then on the other side of life, I was a competitive gymnast. I started tumbling when I was about three. So I definitely had like the showman mentality in my head. I loved Sonora and wild hearts can't be broken, you know, the diving girl. And so I always, I always loved the performing and, you know, wanted to do that. And when I was eight, we went on a family vacation to Branson where we saw, um, it was Dixie Stampede at the time. And, um, now it's the Stampede. And I saw Roman riding and trick riding for the first time. And I don't know what, I don't know what sparked my little eight-year-old mind, but I told dad, I said, that's what I'm going to do one day. I'm going to be there. And he said, well, I go, he said, and I'll never forget it. He goes, well, if you work hard enough and don't mind falling on your head, I have no doubt. 
And we went home and we had, um, we had two pickup horses at the time. Um, if you're familiar with rodeo, pickup horses are the horses. Whenever you see the bucking horses or the bucking bulls, the cowboys are out there. And I guess you call them the rescue horses. They come in, they get the cowboy or they drag mm-hmm. a bull out if a bull doesn't want to come out. So really well-rounded, strong horses. And we had two of them. And dad let me, he said, you know, take these two and do what you want. And this is another funny He told me he didn't know being eight, nine, 10, you know, you never know how much someone's going to stick with something. So he had me start them with halters and lead ropes because he didn't want me to mess up their handle or mess up their mouths. So, um, my early videos are me on these horses with halters and reins so that I didn't mess them up (laughs) for my dad. So these two particular horses, chief and Ariel wound up, um, Gosh, when I talk about them, I about choke up, but they are the staple of my entire life. Um, they gave me so much confidence. I just went out in the pasture and started doing it bareback and barefoot with the halters and lead ropes. And I mean, my confidence, my first show was just through the roof and they carried me. I mean, years and years. I did my first show when I was 10. I got hired at Tennessee Dixie Stampede and I was 18 and they went with me and, um, I spent a better part of my career on those two. Um, when they passed away, one passed away a couple of years ago, three and five years ago, they were 28 and 32 and they passed away and just as healthy and wonderful as you can imagine. And so, so, so those two got me started. And from then everything just kind of was a big takeoff. That is amazing. And for those horses (laughs) to live that long, I mean, you were taking care of those boys, clearly. They were well (laughs) taken care of. And and dad always had a theory on older horses. He would say, you know, it's kind of like a person, you know, you you quit talking and you quit being active and, you know, they're going to just die off and give up on life. And so Chief and Ariel, I mean, up to their last day, I would get on them once or twice a week and just put them with a younger horse or just kind of let them feel like they were still involved and still practicing. And they got, you know, worm just like them. They got shod just like the rest of them. They, they never really knew they were retired. And, yeah. and I completely credit that to them living so long. I currently have the, the team behind him was Royal and fella and fella's 35 now. And I wow. didn't catch him today. My mom, they, they live at my mom's and I was over there worming them today. And I go over there twice a week and I work those two Royals, 23 fellows, 35. And Wow. Um, I was trying to, I was, I was going to worm him today and he was running from me. I couldn't catch him. And my mom, <laughs> here I am 35 and my mom's watching me out the kitchen window and I come in and she goes, well, nothing's changed. Bella still doesn't want you to catch him. And I mean, <laughs> he's basically a dinosaur in horse years. So, yeah. and you know, I can't really say that I've really ever done a lot of crazy supplements or, you know, any s- crazy special, anything just condition and ride them. And here we are, I've got had had him 28, 32. This guy's 35. And so, you know, I'm pretty proud that all my horses live really long, fulfilling lives. Yeah, they're from good stock and they're taken well taken care of. Well taken care of, appreciated, <laughs> all the things. Yeah. At 35, so- I'm still a completely crazy horse person, a completely crazy, you know, little horse girl. Yeah. So how many times did you fall on your head is my question when you were trying well, to learn this. <laughs> last week I was trying to do last week I was trying to do something. I was training a new team and I was trying to ride in Roman pads. And it turns out I'm still terrible on Roman pads. And I slipped and fell on my head last week. So oh. the count continues. <laughs> oh no. I think she's probably lost count by now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there's no telling. You know what though? I'm I'm totally joking. I have fallen plenty of times, but I'm gonna just go back and say the foundation I had, the support I had, the gymnastics, different things. Mm-hmm. I have had my share of injuries, but nothing like you would ever imagine. Um my dad I feel like was really above his time where he didn't know, we didn't know anything about Roman riding and trick riding. My dad really could read horses very well and training and he, he loved training Colts. And so when I was training those first couple teams, you know, he would just give such great advice on how to teach them. And he would always preach that they're kind of like kids. And he just had such a great way of coaching me along to train horses that really, and truly I haven't had, what I would call problem teams or problem horses because he did such a great job teaching me how to teach them. 
and understanding what they need. So it's not, I, I can't sit here and tell you that I've had a ton of horses refuse jumps or fall down, or I've, I've had a very long career and I credit a lot of it, a lot of it to my dad and how he taught me how to teach them, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it totally does. And, and you're a mama now too, right? You have two little children. I have two kids. I have Cruz and he's two and a half and I have Valen and she is eight months. And what do they think about what you do? (laughs) They don't know any different. (laughs) You know, Cruz doesn't really think, I mean, it's it's all they know. When Cruz talks about jumping horses, he, um, he has this little game with me right now. He thinks all jumps are fire jumps and he doesn't ever say fire. He says hot. He'll just see a jump and he'll say a hot jump, a hot jump. So everything is hot jumps and it's just, you know, it's all they know. But, um, I will say with him being two and a half, he's on horses every day. I don't ever let him stand up. I don't ever let him pretend to roam and ride, even on his rocking horses at home, because mm-hmm. I truly, him being a kid, I don't want him to feel pressure to do any of this. Yeah. I want him to ride his bike and play with dinosaurs and want to race his pony across the pasture before he ever thinks about. So he's he not going to be fire jumping at three? No, no, no okay. sir. Hot jumping. Yeah. Disappointment. I just want them to have, you know, I see a lot of performers that like to perform just to be under the lights. And mm-hmm. I feel very fortunate that I genuinely just love my horses. I'm as happy out in the practice pen as I am performing. I love to go on trail rides. I love to pleasure ride, you know, and, and I want my kids to have that same appreciation, you know, where they don't have to be performing. They can just enjoy the animal. So that's kind of my angle with my kids. I want them to enjoy the animal first and they can do the rest in the second. Yeah. Well, they need that background anyway. It's like you didn't start Roman riding out of the womb, you know, and you had to develop your horse back riding abilities the normal way first. So they need to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. He needs to learn how to stop them and turn them and do all the things. And, you know, as a two-year-old, you know, the first time I let him stand up, He's never going to want to sit down and learn again. So he's yeah. going to learn from the ground up like I did. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your, we've talked about a couple of your past teams of horses. What's your current team? What are the ages and breeds of your current team of horses? Oh my gosh. This is my favorite subject. So <laughs> I have, um, I have what I would call my core five. Um, I have four that are the ones I rode at the NFR and the show, I do every, everything big I do, these four go. And I have uh, Dash. He's actually 18 now. And there's a whole great story behind him. But Dash is 18. He's a great quarter horse. And then I have Rummy. She's my only girl currently. And she is nine. She's a blue roan. And then I have Doc. And he is a paint. And then I have Valor. And he's a paint. Doc's 15 and Valor's 12. So, and then I also have Jake. Jake's my fifth. Um, He goes a lot in the summer right now. What I do is dash getting older. I take him to the winter shows where you have spotlights and pyro and, you know, all the crazy stuff. Um, He goes and then Jake goes in his spot in the summer. Dash kind of gets summers off now and Jake goes in his place in the summers. That's awesome. And yeah, so I'm super fortunate. I have just a great crew right now. And are you bringing all five of them to Equine Affair in Ohio? I will have the four. I'll have Roy, I'll have Dash, Valor, Rummy, and Doc. I'll have the the core four. Jake will start travel with me this summer. But I consider Columbus one of the. Whenever I made the comment about the big shows, Columbus is definitely a big show. So Dash will be there. Yeah, we're excited to see you there. Um, do you have any? I don't know. Do you have a preview or a sneak peek you want to give us about your your performance in Fantasia? So I will be doing what you're going to call my four up. I'll be coming out with two and I will end with a finale four and pretty much we'll be doing anything you can imagine in between. I'm going to be bringing it big. Fantasia is an incredible show to be part of. And every time I get the opportunity to perform with Fantasia, I try to up my game. You know, that way I can always keep coming back because it's a, it's a uh, staple show that performers like me want to get to perform at. So Definitely already been prepping for it. It's already on my mind. The kids are going to be there. Really, really looking forward to it. Oh, they're going to get to watch you hot jump in Fantasia. Hot jump. <laughs> hot jump. 
<laughs> so everything is a hot jump. Yeah. How many times have you performed in Fantasia now? Twice. Twice. Okay. Got it. Yes, ma'am. Very I've been cool. I've been in Massachusetts twice. And we Roman wrote. So I do um, two different acts. I have Roman writing, and that's when you're standing on two or three or four. That's when you're standing on two. And I also do the trick writing. Trick writing is a little more popular right now and, well, a little more known, I guess, in Roman writing, thanks to shows like Heartland. Um, and, you know, you've seen Zorro. So yeah. trick writing is where you, the horse is running around the arena and you're doing the stunts on the horse while the horse is running. Um, my husband and I do that together. And so with Fantasia, the first time I Roman rode, and then last year, my husband and I trick rode at it. So we've done different things and looking forward to bringing this to Columbus. Well, we're looking forward to having you there. Um, kind of one last question is, what are you looking forward to most about being in Columbus with us? So I think what's amazing about Fantasia and coming to Columbus is um, the different acts we get to meet and be around and the different um, disciplines you get to witness. And, you know, the expo itself and the different things, it's just, it, it's a it's a rare opportunity to be around fellow just horse crazy people, you know, and, and watching how passionate everyone is about their horses. It's just a really special, it's a really special um, event to be a part of. It's just to be around whether you're a hundred, six, six or 66, everyone is still a horse crazy, a little boy or girl. And to just get to be a part of that and perform in front of that. And people have a sincere appreciation for your horses there's just nothing that beats that. Absolutely. All right. Well, we can't wait to see you. And, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I could chat on and on about the horses. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you in Ohio. Well, before we wrap up, what else can we look forward to happening over there at Equine Affair? Yeah. So I was kind of thinking, what can we talk about? Because this is our last episode before the show, um, which is hard to believe. I, I wanted to point out a couple of different things that I think the audience might enjoy attending. Um, so the first is, if you have younger listeners, or if your listeners have kids who are thinking about college and careers and that sort of thing, uh, we have the college and career fair happening and usually it's a scavenger hunt, but this year it's a little bit different. And so I was thinking that would be a cool thing to talk about. So let me pull up our, our list here. So instead of a scavenger hunt, um, there's going to be multiple presentations about how you can match your interest in the equine industry with a college or a career. Uh, and then also Karen Bump, PhD, who, who kind of puts this together for us every year, is doing one-on-one 20-minute consultation sessions. So you, you can sign up online in advance at our website at equineaffair.com, or you can sign up when you're there at the event, and you can have just a sit-down with someone who knows all the ins and outs of colleges and careers and equine industry type stuff, and she can sort of help you figure out your career path. So I think that's a kind of a cool opportunity for kind of the younger listeners who, or, you know, if you're older and you want to start all over again, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Very good. And a horse for, all, for a horse for heroes. Yeah. So a horse for heroes, we do this every year at every event and it's something, it's a way to give back to um, veterans and active duty and first responders. And so this spring we're partnering with, Operation Horses and Heroes, um, and that is an organization that's all about bringing equine-assisted therapies and activities to the groups I just mentioned. Um, so if you are part of one of those families or you are an active duty serviceman or a veteran, um, go ahead and, and come to Equine Affair and sign up. We'll have different activities, different days of the week. I don't think those are set in stone yet. So I would say check back on our website when we're a little closer to the event for what days and times that's happening. But then you can sort of experience the, the healing power of horses and what it's like to work with horses on the ground and how that relates to different things you might be experiencing, whether that's managing emotions or even dealing with PTSD. So it's a really cool um, activity and then a really great way to meet up with the men and women of Operation Horses and Heroes and kind of 
follow up with them if you want to pursue that in your own life. Very good. And uh, anything else before we wrap up? Yeah. Uh, So in addition to the versatile horse and rider competition, we're having the International Liberty Horse Association Freestyle Invitational, (laughs) that's a mouthful, competition, uh, which has been a huge crowd favorite the last couple of years. That is sponsored by Espana Silk this year, and that is the opportunity to see um, invited handlers and their horses do really cool stuff at Liberty. Um, That's happening two different days, I think Saturday and Sunday, so you definitely want to check that out. Well, this will be the last episode before we do the ones live at Equine Affair. Those are always fun. They're fun for us to do, and I know they're fun for the listeners because they can hear some of the excitement of us being there and meeting random people. And you all know I try and find random people to talk to and people that have uh, that have interesting stories. And, you know, we'll get some of the vendors involved in interviews and some of the clinicians. And we'll just, we're going to have a fun time over there. And it's always fun to do these live events. And I'm hoping to meet a lot of you. So if you are coming, please do come over to the Equine or to the Equine Network booth and say hello. Uh, you'll, you'll know where we are. We'll have the microphones set up. So you, we're the only ones that'll have microphones set up. So ha- come on over and say hi to us. We really appreciate you being there. Allison, good luck. Uh, I know what your next month is going to be like. And uh, stay healthy. Uh, stay Thank sane. And, yes. and we'll see you also in a few weeks. I am super excited and I'm excited to get to meet some of your listeners sounds good and of course you can find all the past episodes of the equine affair on horsesinthemorning.com just scroll down to the equine affair banner in the middle of the page and that will bring up all the past episodes we've had a lot of the clinicians and people that are going to be in Fantasia on the show in the last few months if you missed those go back and take a listen to them or listen to them on your way as you're driving to Columbus Ohio uh, by then the snow should be gone maybe I'll talk on yeah. something <laughs> um, this year who knows <laughs> this could be anything uh but we're looking forward you'll be indoors it'll be fine it'll yeah. be fine indoors yeah, that's right it'll be fine and uh we'll see you all in ohio thank you allison thank you thank you